This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation. <laughs> yes, the Super Bowl is over. A lot of people say they're upset, depressed that football season is over. Football season never ends on Longhorn Blitz. There is no off season around here, and we'll just keep chugging along, getting you ready for spring practice. Make sure you get this podcast each and every week, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Horns 24-7. Click that follow button to get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz, and don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And make sure you get over to Horns 24-7, the latest and greatest, and Longhorn team news and notes, recruiting news, notes, and nuggets. All of it's there for you at Horns 24-7. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst, on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Trade deadline in the NBA is done, so you are uh, you you got your maps, graphs, and charts all squared away, ready to go for it's your— It's sort of weird. It's like the beginning of a new season, sort of like learning new rosters and how pieces fit together because it does change everything up. And we're on multiple sports. Today's the day that pitchers and catchers were supposed to go, but there's no baseball either, so it's, it to, looks like it's going to be all NBA. To answer your question, I'm good. My— Skin is a little ashy because of the cold, dry weather. But other than that, I'm I'm good. Uh, a man who's always doing well, no matter what form of what form of life, what he's doing in life, like form of life, like you take on different life forms. Apologize, <laughs> that would cool. be a talent right botching there. that intro. He's a renaissance man. I don't know if he's that good, but he's a renaissance man. But for the, uh, the purposes of this program, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and for acres where he earned his degree whenever that t-ring comes in we will make sure he wears it proudly nevertheless he is a card carrying member of dbu and when you get that all-american honor recognized by the ncaa they make sure you get one of those black cards number 21 in your program number one in your hearts mr rod babers thank you for the intro brother appreciate it i didn't take always. my didn't take my allergy medicine this morning so Ooh. if i it sounded like i snorted into the microphone there everybody oh, i apologize man, that's a dang coaching mistake that man. is a dang coaching that's a dang <laughs> coaching mistake uh uh, if you need more defensive back talk, we'll finish up our conversation in the secondary, but if you need more DB talk, it, it's kind of a, I don't know, a 
uh, to a nice companion piece to what we talked about last week on the Blitz. Uh, if you're on the Horns 24-7 podcast feed, you already know about this. If you're not, make sure you get over there. Uh, Chip Brown's interview edition of the flagship was with one Rod Babers. So oh, y'all got to chop it up and talk some football. I listened to that. It was a good episode. Good. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, nice little companion piece to the DB talk we had last week. Nice bridge as we finish that up this week. And I'll that. just go ahead and lay it out. Uh, when we talk, we talked a lot last week about the safety position. We did not talk about corner. And before I get on my stump about Deshaun Jameson needing to move to the nickel uh, position, uh, it just feels like the corner position at Texas, you know, it seems like with every coaching staff, that position is one of those that coaches seem to change, like what they want. You want tall, long corners. You want guys that are a little more, I don't know, maybe squatty, guys that are, you want speed. And it really feels like Sark, PK, Terry Joseph, it feels like they want taller, longer corners. Yeah. If you look at the two, well, two of the guys they're bringing in, Really, if you look back at Ishmael Ibrahim, who was the guy that they gave a second chance to uh, that Tom Herman recruited, he was one of those guys, but more so Terrence Brooks and Ryan Watts, taller, longer, in theory, more physical corners. You feel like we're maybe seeing another changing of the guard, Rod, at that position? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could be because I remember, I believe it was, because remember Tyrell Lando's group like long-rangey corners, right? That was, you know, kind of going back. Well, actually, I take – yeah, that was kind of that group because Houghton Hill was a big. Well, but those that. Were, that was Charlie Strong's Charlie guys, and Strong's they groups. like Charlie admitted they were trying to replicate what the Legion of Boom was doing at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they wanted Richard Sherman and, and guys like that. Yeah, I mean, so Texas had long, rangy corners for a while. I mean, it's not, and that was probably the last successful group of corners Texas had was when they were kind of long, rangy, athletic guys on the outside. So it's not a surprise. I mean, I, I think it's. <laughs> It's a preference thing. It really is. I mean, just get a guy that can freaking cover. Because mm. when you when you put your when you pigeonhole yourself, like I mm-hmm. need him to be long and rangy. He's got to be long and rangy. It's like okay, but what if he's just good? You can restrict <laughs> yeah. yourself. What if, yeah. What if he's just good? What if the guy can just flat out freaking cover? What mm-hmm. if he just flat out freaking play? You gonna miss out on the Quandre Diggs because he's like ah, LA long and rangy, long and rangy, and he long and rangy. It's like no, 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 no. I get you. That's what you prefer, right? You may prefer the blonde. Yeah. You may prefer a blonde, but if a smoking hot brunette walks into the room, hey, she's smoking freaking hot, all right? Yeah. You're really going to pass up the smoking hot brunette because, oh, I really prefer <laughs> blondes. Don't be an idiot, all right? So I get you. You prefer long and range. Yes, everybody wants a Richard Sherman. Everybody wants a... Uh, you know, a Jalen Ramsey, if you a can find A guy him. that's fast and talented. That would be great, right? Trevon Diggs is that guy, too. I feel you. But just find a guy that can flat out play. The truth is most corners are not that long and rangy. Right. And you just go find guys that can cover. You need guys that can win man-to-man, that can win one-on-ones. And you don't necessarily have that right now. Now, if you And also, if you're going to bring in these long-rangey corners, you better teach them how to actually play press man and play bump and run. You, what's the point in bringing in a long rangey corner who's got long arms to be able to reroute a route receiver and get your hands on them and be physical if they can't play bump and run? So you bring in these corners and you don't teach them how to play bump and run yeah. coverage. So teach the corners who are there right now to try to play bump and run because every time they go, they just it's a track meet. It's a turn and run. It's not a bump and run. So that's what you teach the technique first. And then, yes, you can apply that to the really long rangey corners who will be able to execute it better. So, I don't know. I think coaches, they overthink stuff like that. It's like, got to have long and rangey. Let's go find a guy that can play. Well, and that's where <laughs> the main preference is there, but you don't want to box yourself out of a good player only because your own 
preferences of just a cookie cutter version or like the whole thing about looking for the next Michael Jordan was the mistake of the NBA exactly. for a decade oh, because man. you're trying to fit something into <laughs> yeah. a box and you would have missed out on a LeBron because his body type is a little bit bigger, yeah. not as fast or whatever it is. So, yeah. yeah, and you see that across all types of sports that, yeah, if you just go and have that baseline of, well, can he play? Does he love to play? Does he have the skills needed, and then hopefully you find the one that fits the exact you know exactly. parameters that you're looking for. It, it's so funny. Um, I'm going to make a quick tangent, and then I'll get back to something you just said, Rod. So you guys know I love pro wrestling, and I was listening to a podcast one time, and it's I love these podcasts that tell stories about old booking stuff and how did you get here and this, that, and the other behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. And uh, the guy was talking about how he went to Japan. They were scouting talent in Japan. And there's this guy this great talent in the ring, could do all this stuff. And he asked the promoters, okay, does he speak English? Well, I mean, maybe he can learn. He's like, no, 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 no. Does he speak English? <laughs> he does all this other stuff that's great. If he can't speak English, that doesn't translate to an American audience. What are we even doing here? And it's like you said, you can get enamored with all this other stuff, but at the end of the day with a corner, can he cover? Can he cover? Yeah. Can I mean, I don't care if he's 6'3", if he's 5'9", <laughs> whatever, can he cover? Can he cover first? I mean, Aaron That's Donald didn't first. fit a prototype <laughs> of a D tackle. Like He did. He's actually, yeah, he's undersized. Same with tackle. Jose Altuve. Yeah. Like, there's certain areas where you can find guys that are, like, at the highest elite levels that were actually viewed as something that they aren't. They actually have all the values that yeah. you want, but because their frame's different, you actually get, view it as a diminished version and never give them a shot at a lot you of just places. Get, you get so enamored yeah. with stuff that – if this one core thing isn't there, none of that other stuff matters. Doesn't matter at all. And for Texas, for so long, I threw this out to you. And I, I as somebody who was, you were almost a premium round pick, Rod. You were, went 123 overall in the fourth round. I caught more interceptions. I, I could have been. I consider premium round. You go basically top 100 picks, first three rounds. You're a premium pick. You remember the last, you know the last time Texas had a premium round pick, a corner taken in the top 100? First hundred picks of the draft, uh, a corner, yeah. a legit corner. It's gonna probably be like um, Curtis Brown, uh, Aaron Williams, something like the that. The twenty eleven draft, Aaron Williams and Curtis Brown. Mm-hmm. There you it's go. The there last you. time Texas yeah. produced a, as that was the two thousand eleven draft. Yeah, because I was surprised Curtis Brown went that high. Yeah. Be 12, I remember when he drafted eleven, ago, round, 11 right? years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a great. I, I, that's shocking, actually. Mm-hmm. Now, if Holden Hill wouldn't have. You know, been such a knucklehead off the field. I think Holton Hill could have been a premium pick, but he could have worked himself into that situation. Well, you even, you even talked about it. Like, there were teams, some teams, from what you were told, had a second-round grade on they Holton Hill. loved Holton Hill, but you couldn't justify draft capital on a guy ah. who's, you know, making bad decisions. Like I said, and I love I love me some Hollywood Hill, but and you flunk the drug test at the Combine, say what you want about marijuana, and I know the CBA's changed that. You flunk the idiot test. Yep. You know you're going to be tested at the Combine. Yeah. Yep, he still made it, though. He's been out there doing well. No, yeah, I agree, but he wa- I mean, he wasted a lot of money. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, gosh. Millions. cost himself millions yeah, of dollars. cost himself a lot of money. And you, you, did, you, you were working harder, not smarter. You worked the hard way, even harder to get this. It's a hard road anyway, but you made it even harder than it needed to be. Yeah. So, I, you know, I know PFF isn't the BLN, no, pro football focus, for those of you not familiar with the mm-hmm. lingo. But, Rod, I, I'm just looking at grades for corners, and I, I, just, I just want corners in 2021 mm-hmm. uh, based on where the coverage grades are. You know, Jade Barron 
finished as the fifth highest graded corner in the Big 12. And to your point, that's why I'm so high on Jade Barron. And I know we just talked about are the body types of corner changing. Jade Barron was one of the few guys out there on an island last year that when I watch games either in person or going back and watching it on tape, I'm like, yeah. Jade Barron can cover people. He can stay in front of somebody. When we were talking about well in this scenario too. When we were talking about most improved players, and we were like, well, I I brought up the name, and it was like he didn't play much, but he was improved. It seemed like from game one to the end of the year, it's just he didn't get many opportunities. Yeah, I don't know how many uh, actual snaps he played. Uh, It was sparing though. I'm seeing 112 coverage snaps at corner. Okay, yeah, that's a decent sample size. Yeah, Uh, get about ten a game. Yeah, that's a decent sample size. It's uh, it's interesting. I mean, this is going to be the, the competition, obviously, this season. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, Deshaun Jameson has, because of the season that he had last last year and even before that, if he does have any type of credibility with the coaches or if the coaches want a fresh start too. If they're like, you know what, I'd rather the growing, I'd rather deal with the growing pains than the, the pain of, trusting a veteran like Deshaun Jameson, he ended up getting beat again and not improved. Because Deshaun Jameson did not get better last year. Well, and I mean, when a, he, the argument he made, he got worse from his uh, sophomore or, Sorry, he a junior? Oh, he get the double that COVID year? COVID. No, he's, 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 he's considered. From was consi- 2020 to 2021. Yes. <laughs> he regressed. Yeah, I get confused. In his, uh, the rating on, t- when he was targeted, a 131 NFL passer rating, which is absurdly bad. It's almost what's the what's the perfect passer rating? One fifty eight point three. Good lord! Yeah, and Jade <laughs> Barron sixty two. Yeah, there's a no, lot no, less he, stats. I, I mean, agree with that. No, it, that, that matches the eye test. It does. It's just it's not a large sample, but it matches the eye test that Jade Barron actually was a better coverage defender than Deshaun James. And the sample sure. size is like uh, one twelve isn't a ton, but Jameson only had three hundred eighteen. So you're talking about you know a third of the amount of snaps, mm-hmm. but to have that drastic of a difference is immense. Yeah. No, I'm with you. They got to do something at corner because right now, how big is Jaday Barron? 5'8". Hmm? But, you, but you know who loved Jaday Barron? Who that? That was a Matt Rule eval. Ooh, did not take him. And anybody, <laughs> and anybody that listens to this show, hey, if you've got your Longhorn take- Blitz bingo card, please fill your Matt Rule space Seriously. right now. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, that case, okay. Yeah, I honestly never noticed. Was, what did Matt Rule look at? Can he play? Yeah, uh, he can play. Because I've honestly was, never noticed that he was that short, like watching him play. He yeah. plays bigger. Yeah, that's he plays bigger. Committed. He's like Zay. Must X-Man, be long. Like X Men has play strength. Well, he you, plays bigger. you're a guy that's long for your height, though. That's too. True. There's you can be a guy like the way Kevin Durant has, you know, a seven six wingspan at six ten or six eleven makes him play like that's he's seven one. If you have a long wingspan and you have a six foot wingspan or six two wingspan and you're five eight, you play like you're five eleven. I agree with that. Uh. Uh, just to put in perspective what we're talking about, and granted, we talked about Jaday Barron. Uh, it, it, it's 112 coverage snaps at corner. That's a pretty good sample That's size. That's a good sample size. Um, in the Big 12, Jaday Barron had the third highest, according to PFF, had the third highest percentage of forced incompletions per target. 20 is 20%. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only guys hired to Big 12, Charles Woods at West Virginia, TJ Tampa at Iowa State. Uh, Deshaun Jameson, on the other hand, oh, no. uh, I'm showing him – I'm showing him at zero percent, like none. <laughs> so PFF has him at PFF has him at zero percent. Forced <laughs> incompletions per target it can't zero. Be right. it's gotta be. Come well, on, no, because he has zero zero forced incompletions. Zero forced incompletions. Sorry, 
in one interception. So if you were gonna go, <laughs> that's a tweet. That's, that's a, a technically twi- a forced so, but still one pick, yeah. one out of oh, three hundred and twelve yeah. is not good. That's still like less than a point three percent. And if you were to compare Jade Barron, he had four PBUs inside of his. But if you look at the yards per reception allowed to each of them, you had sixteen point six against Deshaun Jameson, eight point eight against Jade Barron. Yeah. What'd you say the passer rating, the pass NFL passer rating was for Jaday Barrett? 62.1 to 131.1. It matches the eye test. I just can't Because what I always say about what I want these corners to do more of, make plays on the ball. Because mm-hmm. you're going to get beat. Nobody cares if you get beat these days. There are first-team all-conference corners getting beat all the time. Alabama's corners are getting beat. George's corners, everybody's corners are getting beat. That's just the day and age we live in. There's a spread error. We're passing more than ever. You're going to be as a corner. How do you counter that? You got to make plays on the ball. Make more plays on the ball than you give up. Yep. That's your job now as a corner in the modern passing era. And our and the Texas corners, they do not make more plays on the ball than they gave up. They right. give up more, way more plays than they make based on those numbers. And this is why you have to take Deshaun Jameson off the field at times and go, man, I can't have you out there. You got to go make. I need you to go make a play on the ball. They can't throw the ball in your direction and target you over and over again and have you making zero plays on the ball. Yeah, and that's the zero thing. Zero plays? The aspect of. Come on, man. Zero PBUs in one pick. So on targets, wow. it was 39 targets, 27 receptions. So you're talking over, you know, 20 or 75% the right around there. And yeah. then if you look at Jade Barron, 20 times targeted, only 10 receptions. So you're talking 50% completion percentage to the 69% against J- Jameson. But then you also have Barron making more making plays. plays. So, like, it, it, you can survive a guy, say, not making plays if he isn't allowing anybody to catch the ball. Yeah, you're Byron. Yeah, exactly. That's your quote. You're Byron Jones. You're basically you what Rod B was when yeah. I was out. It's like, no, when nobody's catching the ball. But I was making plays on the ball. Exactly. You're on the top five all the time in PBUs. Exactly. That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's just that's me. That's an insult, too, <laughs> because that's my fault because I dropped a lot of interceptions. Probably half of those or a quarter of those. But still, you got to go make plays on the ball. You can't be giving up plays without making plays on the ball. That's the problem with Texas corners. That's why they need new ones. Because we thought we would saw we would see progression um, from Deshaun Jameson from twenty to twenty one, and we did not. We saw regression. Josh Thompson progressed. Josh Thompson. Josh got Thompson better. made made some plays on the uh, ball. Yeah, J- Jade Barron was one of the few guys that we talked about it, and I'm glad again the PFF numbers back up the eye test. He's one of the few guys on defense. Period. That I felt like from the start of the year to the end of the year, I'm like, okay, he got better. That guy got better as the year went on. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, as we said, not that many of those guys, guys. but he was one of the guys that I felt got better. Especially especially a young guy, which is important. So given that, I'm going to get on my Deshaun Jameson to nickel stump, and you guys have given me a pretty terrible argument. I got no leg to stand on here. Um, (laughs) PFF did that. Well, yeah, and to that point, too, if you're talking about why not some uh, Jade Barron also, because it looked like him playing in uh, his run stops, if you look on a per-snap basis, I mean, you had Jamison with so many more snaps. We just showed over, you know, three times the amount almost. He had 14 run stops. Jade Barron in his limited snaps had nine run stops, which is impressive, too. It just shows more about the guy, instinctual, a good football player. Yeah, I think you've got to take one of those corners and move them to nickel and give them a look at nickel, whether it's Barron. It could be Keaton Crawford. It could be Jamison. You're not deep enough at safety to just roll the dice on one of the true freshmen. You've got to take somebody that you feel is close to a proven commodity and put them in that nickel role. Okay. My, my point on Deshaun Jamison, it, and it might sound like we're knocking the guy. I'm not. He's too good a football player 
to to put up these kind of numbers. I think we all agree. That's yeah. why that's why we're having a discussion. We're <laughs> just pointing out the results to be clear too, not and the not ragging that just too. The facts. That's why they played him last year. They're like, no, no, this guy's a good football. Well, and these are the type of discussions that you have to have if you're a coaching staff. Coaching, you look exactly. at the production and they're evaluating how they performed, and you can find ways there have deficiencies to work on things along those lines. And like, totally agree. Yeah, the eleven slot snaps for Jamison last year. Jaday Barron only had seven, so like they at least had seen them in a situation or were felt free with them like having to adjust to those snaps but that's about it you, your nickel we've talked about it a lot the nickel position you've got to have a guy that above all else has football instincts like yes you, the skill set is important right we talk about it all the time pj Locke once framed it for me the, the best way possible one play you're covering a guy that's you know a 4-4 guy in the slot in the very next play you're trying to set the edge, taking on a 300-pound pulling guard. That's just the life, uh, especially now. We talked about it ad nauseum that the Big 12 is more of a run league with these hybrid spread offenses. Now more than ever, you need your nickel guy to be really good in run support. He's got to mm-hmm. be a good blitzer. Uh, all these things your nickel guy has to do. Above all else, he's got to be instinctive. If he's out there, if he can't play reactive, if, he, if he's got to like, look and think and diagnose, you can't have that kind of guy at nickel. You've got to have a guy that – it takes all the thinking out of it. Just boom, he just reacts really quick. Yep. If he can't play like that, he cannot be in the nickel position. I'm sorry, I don't care how talented he is. Um, and I, again, getting back to the Deshaun Jameson production or lack thereof, I've seen we've seen him be instinctive. We've seen him seen him be a ball hawk. We've seen him have all the kinds of skill set, the the kind of skill set that you need to thrive in the nickel position. But based on what we put, what we've talked about here, what the eye test showed us last year what the PFF numbers do to back up the eye test. If I'm going to move one of those corners to the nickel, it might be Jaday Barron. But that said, Rod, he's so good. He's one of your best natural cover guys. I don't know I don't know if you have the luxury right now to experiment him with, with nickel or safety. No. Well, <clears throat> it depends on how those corners are you brought in, right? If Ryan Watts is, you know, if he's ahead of schedule in his development, what's his trajectory, right? What's his rate of development? And I'm hearing great things about Terrence Brooks. So if those guys, and is Ryan Watts going to play corner? Is he playing corner? Yeah. So if those guys are ahead of schedule, then you may be able to take that risk of moving a guy like Jay Barron or at least being able to cross-train him at both of those. should be cross-training all those guys anyway as much as you can. But maybe you can do it then. Um, but I'm with you. I think you're right. I, you can't waste a Sean Jamison skill set. And because he's a ball hawk, maybe that we know the nickels work with the safeties. Hell, man, maybe he ends up finding himself in certain Certain situations, right? Certain packages, certain sub packages uh, in predictable pack situations. Maybe you are playing three safeties at times, and he's your middle field safety because you know yeah. he's a great guy at being able to ball, you know, ball hawk, and he can play play the ball in the air. And maybe that's how you use him. You just got to find a way not to waste his talents. Should yeah. he be your starting corner? Probably not. At you're this probably point, past no. that point. Yeah, you're probably past the point. But I'm with you. I don't. I, you can't afford to waste personnel back there. Just getting back to the coaches you know, giving up on the previous roster. And I've talked about that. We've had that conversation. They can't do that. You're not going to get to where you want to be by deciding to just say forsake the old roster and bring in all new guys. It's not going to work that way. You have to build the bridge and transition with that those veteran players that you inherited. You have to, and they have to get better doing it. And John you, James is a yeah. prime example. Great. Ex- here's a great example of what you're talking about that we, we've seen in recent years at Texas. Go back to that 2017 defense. Remember how good P.J. Locke was in the oh, nickel? Yeah. He got hurt Got hurt in the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. 
Todd Orlando took Antoine Davis, and Antoine Davis was a guy that played all over. The, they tried him at corner. Yeah. They tried him at safety. Oh, Nothing yeah. really worked. But Todd Orlando said, you know what? For what I want in my nickel defender, he's perfect. He did. He he's worked. like, I don't need you to go body up a guy one-on-one on an island. I don't need you to play middle field safety. I just need you to fill this nickel role, be the best nickel you can be. Yep. That's what this staff has to do with Deshaun James. Remember, he did that with Jason Hall. Because remember, Antoine Davis got hurt. Maybe he had like four, three or four guys got hurt at the nickel position that year, yeah. and he used Antoine Hall. He threw him in there. For, uh, sorry, Jason, Jason Hall. Hall. Uh, in there for, and then Antoine Davis in there. Hell, Bonnie went in there and played some. Well, Bones was in there, yeah. yeah Hall was that guy that just played some of that nickel loved that to come in on the run defense. Yeah. And, like, if you look at the players on the team that were, you know, DBs that also had really high run defense grades, I mean, you look on the team, Deshaun Jamison's number one on the entire team, according to PFF, on highest run defensive grade, higher than any D lineman, higher than anybody. So, you know, by them, he's your best run defender, which is a thing if you're already giving yeah. up huge plays on the outside. Maybe, and if, he, maybe he can run the alley. I don't know. We never seen him back there as a safety. Listen, I played and, with Ahmad Brooks and Nathan Vasher. They were both small, small smaller than me or smaller than me. Yep. And Quentin Jammer and I with the corners because Coach Aquino, once again, getting back to full circle to the beginning of this conversation, he wasn't, you know, fixated on the prototype. Like, yep. I got to have a corner this size or a safety size. Like, you no, high can IQ you quarterback. Do the job, right? Yeah. And Ahmad Brooks was a former uh, cornerback, but also a former quarterback in high school. So he saw the game from a quarterback's yeah. perspective. And he was a great. Which kind is of, huge. Yeah, exactly. He was a great kind of air traffic controller back there and was able to call the defense and make the checks. And then Nathan Vasher was the ball hawk. And turns out Ahmad Brooks was an amazing tackler. Mm-hmm. Back to your point, maybe Deshaun Jameson. We don't know. But so is a Jameson. He was a great tackler for his size. Why Jameson's the highest graded out tackler on the yeah, team. So, so maybe it is a situation like Ahmad Brooks where he can run the alley and he can actually make tackles. I don't know. We haven't seen him do that, but your point is is, is stated, and I think well said, Jeff. That they shouldn't waste him. No, at least see if he can contribute. They experimented a few times. They have him listed in the box at least fifty five times last year, which would mean a couple times That's a game. And you it's look at somebody else like. Uh, Jade Barron also was in there 20 times. If you look, though, the only guys that have a g- allowed a low passer rating, like under 100, you have Darian Dunn that was around 90, and then you had – it was 89.6, and then we already pointed out Jade Barron. They also were the only two that had an above-average mm-hmm. run defense grade. And then you had Jamison – who had the elite run defense and elite tackling, literally, according to PFF, the best on the team, but so bad – in coverage, giving up those horrible numbers across the board. It makes sense, but if it doesn't work, say he doesn't have instincts or he gets injured, doesn't have the size, or you don't want to make – because that's a thing to ask somebody to do it 12 consecutive games at that size. It may not be realistic. You may have to go into it knowing your backup plan, but guys like Dunn and Barron have proven to be above average in coverage and above average against the run, so at least you have those safety nets or you can limit the amount of – Snaps and just have them in there in premium situations. Well, Dunn's gone. Keep in mind that Dunn. Oh, is, Dunn, true. Dunn is gone. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, honestly, we know nickels and safeties work together, so that's why your theory holds water. That maybe situationally, stiffen sub packages, he'd be perfect. And as Matt just mentioned, he's underrated as a tackler. Maybe he can be your answer to running the alley, which your safeties are mm-hmm. really bad at, or your safeties when you go single high, who are really bad at playing mm-hmm. the middle field safety and the center field. Maybe he's the answer there. I'm not. We're not saying he is, but some of the stats say it's worth pursuing, yep. worth experimenting. Remember what? Uh, I mean, Grant. Keep in mind what uh, one guy, maybe the guy you and Dwayne Aquina disagreed with the most, 
in your post playing career with uh, Mikael Thompson. Thompson? <laughs> Mikael Thompson got drafted when they gave him, got him some glasses and changed him positions. <laughs> they kept simple. trying to make him a safety, and they then they figured, to. you know what? He's so long. He's so athletic. Just put him he on an island. Let him cover guys one-on-one. And he was way better at that. He, he looked like an NFL player at times. And he got drafted. And he got drafted. He got drafted ahead of Quandre Diggs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because of the size. Yeah, play safety. The conversation. They wanted a long-ranging corner. Well, and Quandre talking about Diggs, player. like Diggs is a guy that he, I mean, he can't thank Matt Stafford enough. Is Matt Stafford being the guy that I didn't. He was like, hey, I forgot who, what Diggs is. I think it was six is what he called him. He's like, six on the practice squad keeps on picking me off. And he was pissed in. And like talking about, and at the time they experimented with Diggs at safety on the yep, right practice squad teams he's and stuff. And he team. said it yeah. changed his career it being did. able to change there. And it was because he had the high IQ. It's the exact same model that yep. Ahmad Brooks was. If you look at the body really type was. and the style, and even in yeah, high, school a, a quarterback. Quarterback in high school quarterback. No, yeah, it's the exact same point. prototype. A couple things, real quick, because I got to run, and Matt and Rod will finish up this podcast like we had to do a couple of weeks ago. But one, that's one thing that spread offense is taken away. Because a lot of the guys you just mentioned that were high school quarterbacks, they played in option offenses or mm. you know, run based offenses. Now everybody, you know, everybody's running some form of a wide open spread. The passing game has become so prominent at the higher levels of football in the state of Texas. We don't see that many guys making that position conversion anymore. That's a great point. I didn't think about that, but you're right. Yeah, back then it was actually pretty common. Dakari Pearson did it mm-hmm. in high school. Back then it was more, way Adrian, more common. I know Adrian Phillips played quarter, some quarterback Yeah, that was way more common. So man. common I, that a, Mac Brown wanted point. to turn every quarterback into a DB. <laughs> <laughs> Mac Brown wanted to flip like, it. This is the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way to do it. Akina found out my books. I'm going to do it to RG. Safety for us. You too, Johnny. And then I don't know if you you guys want to get into this, but Rod, you got the you had the D ball numbers that the Texas secondary gave up, and uh, yeah. if you guys want to talk receivers and tight ends, and I know we talked a lot about that group with Brennan Marion and Isaiah Nayor and the rest mm-hmm. of it, but we talked about we gave Isaiah Nayor his his average depth of target numbers mm-hmm. and his uh, average yards per route run. He would have led the Big Twelve in both categories last year, and uh, we talked about him just being a guy that can get deep in the vertical. Texas was one of the worst deep ball throwing offenses in the country last year for everything the yeah. offense did well. They were one of the worst deep that ball throwing offenses in the country. So I looked at it. I broke it down to PFF. I put in a minimum of 13 attempts throwing the ball 20 yards or more down the field because that's how many Hudson Card had. Uh, in terms of completion percentage, uh, Hudson Card ranked 159th out of 174 mm. qualifying quarterbacks. Casey Thompson, 115th out of 174 qualifying quarterbacks. Uh, the uh, Hudson Card's completion percentage, 23.1. Casey Thompson was a 32.6. The median among those qualifying quarterbacks, 36.7%. So Texas was below that. And I also think, too, this bore out the eye test. Remember when I was talking about going to practice and what we were hearing from the scrimmages? I said, Hudson Carter will throw a deep ball that either his guy's going to catch it or nobody's catching it. Hmm. Casey Thompson on the other throws way too many 50-50 balls. Hudson, Hudson Card last year on passes of 20 yards or more down the field, 3 of 13, 119 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Three big-time throws. Again, PFF considers a big-time throw. Are you throwing it through a window mm. into a certain coverage, that, like an NFL-type throw? They consider that a big-time throw. No turnover-worthy plays, and he did have one drop. Casey Thompson, on the other hand, 14-43, 497 yards, seven touchdowns, six interceptions. He had 11 big-time throws, but five additional turnover-worthy plays and two drops. So, again, Casey Thompson putting the ball in danger. Hudson Card. Basically putting it where he, he's his guy's catching it or nobody's catching it, yeah. and, I, and we don't have any data on Quinn Ewers because he took a grand total of two snaps last year. Both were handoffs, so we have not seen Quinn Ewers throw a ball twenty yards or more down the field at this level. But 
As I exit, gentlemen, I don't know if you guys want to talk about receivers, wherever, but the floor is yours to do as you wish. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Thank you, brother. We appreciate it. Great uh, exit, as always. Go light the tower. Leaving us, yeah, go light the tower. Leaving us with a great nugget there about the deep ball. You actually heard my man Jeff with that rant on light the tower last week. And you guys know how I feel about the deep ball. I think teams should throw the deep ball more. I always said if I was a high school head coach, Mm -hmm. the the most underutilized weapon for high school coaches is the deep ball because no high school DB knows how to play the deep ball. They just can't do it. Hell, Texas DBs can't play the damn deep ball. They're allowing opponents, I think the the last number I looked at was around 60-plus percent of opposing teams were were able to complete. uh, That was their completion percentage on passes 20 yards or more down the field. It's underutilized, and I'll say this as a defensive back. I everything that a defensive back does, all the technique, all the uh, the game plan and preparation alignment assignment, it is built essentially around not giving up the deep ball. Mm-hmm. All the coverage is like not giving up the deep ball. If you if you're a defensive back, you will not get cussed out or dog cussed, yelled at when you come back to the sideline if you just give up, you know, a curl route or give up a hitch route or slant something like that. That's understandable. Everybody gives up those. It just happens. You're human. The deep ball is when you come back to the sideline and you get those dirty looks. That's when coach wants to come over and talk to you. That's when coach is throwing stuff. He's throwing the, the you know, he's throwing the, the hat and he, he's throwing the charts. He's upset because that is the one almost unforgivable sin, one forgivable ruling coverage. Don't give up the deep ball. Protect it at all costs. And when you throw the deep ball, even if you don't complete it, I've said this numerous times, even if you don't complete the deep ball, you plant a seed of fear mm-hmm. into defensive backs' mind. It's All a gravity, yeah, exactly, a right. defensive gravity, the way Steph Curry it's, impacts it in basketball. Same thing, right? Yeah. Same thing. You almost force them now to have to think about it, to almost have to program it once again into their game plan. All right, guys, it backs the safeties up. I guarantee that corner He's going to back up a little bit. He's going to open his hips a little bit sooner for mm-hmm. those curl routes and those underneath routes. It opens up everything. I would throw a few of them in the first quarter. I'm not joking. People, I would throw two or three of them. I think you, I think the benefits of it, the ROI, the return on investment you get in the fourth quarter yeah. from throwing deep balls in the first quarter, I think it's totally worth it. If I connect on them, great. If I get a pass interference call, great. Those are all things that help. But even the unknown benefits, or at least the unquantifiable benefit, is the fear the fear that it puts into the minds of defensive backs and it makes them less aggressive. That's what you want. Yeah, and that's, that's why when, you want to throw it. The, I mean, all the way back to the when the forward pass was invented, it's the one play uh-huh. that's been something that across all eras of football, there's always been your Drew Pearson or you've had somebody that's been there was Alvin Harper when mm-hmm. I was a kid. It's on the the we it's not your possession guy. It's on the weak side of the defense that can then if you imagine in your mind the football field, and we talk about the spread and the webbing, if you were to get all your skill guys and when they run, connect them by a spider web and see 
see how it pulls and where it goes across the board. And having guys, it's why Ted Ginn and Deshaun Jackson have been employed for 15 years in the yep. NFL because there's that position that's needed by these guys that know how to avoid contact. They may not even catch a ball all game, but then they ask, well, what's the key to your offense? And oh, you heard McVay say it about Deshaun Jackson before he requested to get out earlier this yep. season whenever it was that, well, you, you have that because it opens up the rest of the field and the way that all the receivers are connected. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, the Rams are a great example, too, of what the one or two receivers do because Odell was then in that role. If you look mm-hmm. across the years back when what was wrong with McVay's offense against the Patriots, people forget Cooper got Cup got hurt the week before that Super Bowl back in 2018. And at the time, people were like, oh, you know, the Rams offense, everybody figured out McVay. And people were like, no, it's Cooper Cup's what what went wrong here. He's not there anymore. But people didn't respect Cooper Cup like they do now. And you see, like, it just was a perfect coincidence, and it's why you want to build up. It's why we talk about you can never have enough quarterbacks, but you can never have enough skill guys either in receivers because football's one snap, one play. The Rams, since they won the Super Bowl, it's on my mind but you look at the way that it well, worked out the for them yeah well, how the Bengals get there yeah, exactly they receiver Higgins slash Higgins would be a number one Higgins, and then they Javar drafted Chase, Chase yeah. over the protector on they the old line thing. and you look yeah. at they just going out people thought it was a you know a superfluous amount of riches whenever you have a healthy Robert Woods in cup because people forget that you yeah. signed Odell whenever Robert, Robert Woods, Woods was healthy yeah. then two days later That's after big. he was signed Odell was signed Robert Woods goes down. Then you see in the Super Bowl, whenever Odell goes down, the guy that's on that weak side of the defense, that's that stretcher of the defense that with his elite speed and size, that offense is so dynamic. But when Odell went out, the entire offense did nothing. Oh, yeah. The rest it of the game until you had to go to the final drive in the in Cup and McVay and Stafford knew no nobody else is getting open. Nobody's respecting anybody. I don't care if he's double covered. I'm gonna work safeties. I'm gonna find ways to get it to Cup. I'm gonna have to go no look passes to move on Bell to be able to fit one inside of his ear. Like it was a perfect example of why you have to have that other guy and especially that vertical stretcher. And the Rams were one that used it for years and it's turned Cooper Cup into the guy that he is because when he's on that strong side he can line up in the slot or he can engineer the mismatch that he needs because the guy on the other side of the field stretching the field yeah to your the point you just made <laughs> Odell Beckham when he was in the game there were four drives I don't know well, this is about receivers so we'll get back yeah. to Texas receivers four drives with Odell Beckham Jr. on the field of course with Cooper Cup uh, two touchdowns and two punts. Yeah. And here are the drives after Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt. Interception, punt, interception, field goal, punt, 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 touchdown. Yeah. And the last drive, of course, was that was the only last cup. drive that touchdown. And they right, they targeted him four times on that last drive, and he actually ended up having four receptions on that last drive. And I, and this is this is a I'll, I'll say this, and Sark Sark does this really well. I heard Tom Herman say this. I've heard Greg Davis say this. It is a great lesson. I always learn lessons from Super Bowls and lessons from great football games. In clutch time, you think players, not plays. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did. In that in that that last drive, they decided. So for the first eleven drives of the game, they only targeted Cooper Cup six times. Mm-hmm. 
He was targeted four times on the final drive. But in the first 11 drives total, yeah. six targets, four receptions. He did have a touchdown. But in that last drive, it was all Cooper Cup. Four targets, four receptions. In clutch time, think players not plays. What did Zach Taylor do in clutch time? Yeah. He gave the ball to Samaje Ryan, <laughs> their third down back, instead of giving it to Joe Mixon in th- on third and one, who is their best running back. If it's if it's a situation where you're going to run the football in short yardage, give it to the guy that me, runs the football best in clutch time think players not plays i'll give sark credit sark actually does a good job yes. in that he does think players funnel usage to your top guys exactly that's uh that's one of the things sark does a really good job and you know i think that you know i think honestly you look at it i believe something they kind of learned that over time like now i gotta force feed the football to mm-hmm. my best players because you know in the last super bowl that he played against the patriots that's how he got beat yep because the patriots like nah we're gonna give it to grunk on our last ride that's our guy grunk and edelman that's who's gonna beat you and that's how he got beat well i mean looking at edelman on that last that's drive. what tampa <laughs> bay had to score one touchdown. whittle their defense once you end up taking out antonio brown and godwin yeah. like it becomes more predictable and yeah you can funnel that usage through those guys and it becomes tougher but sometimes your great players just make plays even if they are facing the coverage like that throw by Stafford that he was able to move no on Bell in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was so great watching that and seeing that just great. the manipulation of the defense, Second just finding guys open. Yeah, it's unbelievable watching just at the top level being able to perform and do that in those clutch situations. Yeah, no, I, I think I, you know, just I know we're not talking Super Bowl here, but I mean for Stafford and the no look throw in second seven. Cooper Cup, four targets, four receptions on that final and drive. He was targeted down. on the one when and there were two penalties, so there were five targets, and he yeah, almost got knocked out. Good point. Good point. Uh, and, and, and the rush. Yep. Remember the, four, the, the, fourth, the down, fourth down? The fourth the down, the reverse. Hand off the cup. They averaging 1.9 yards per when rush. When he went in motion, I said end around. I knew it was you could see it. the lowest in Super Bowl history. They're the only team in Super Bowl history to average less than two yards per rush and also go on to win, win the Super Bowl. It's never happened. And, yeah, in clutch time, he decides, you know what? Think players over plays. I got to get this. We got to get this first down. I'm giving it to my best player on offense. Yeah. But what about the running game? To hell, they ain't been helping me now. You know what? I'm giving it to Cooper. Come and hand it off to him. And I'm gonna hope that he just works his magic. Think players, not plays. And Love it's, that lesson. It's totally uh, to bring it back to Texas. I mean, watching that Super Bowl, I was like, this is like watching Shipley against OU in 2008, and being the guy that they would move in. Like basically, Shipley was lining up at tight end. You know, like mm-hmm. the same Flexing way that the Cooper yeah. couple motion. And it's the Put same. In they use him the same they way. Know. And then you yeah. know what? Who also was key in that 08? Team in 09, well, we at the time were like, man, this guy's gonna be a first rounder. It was uh, Malcolm Williams on the outside as your field stretcher that helped pull uh, right. the defense and at least have that threat of verticality. Brandon Collins also was a guy that had elite speed. Texas had guys like Billy Pittman in the 05 team that was always there, even though you didn't have great receivers, you had somebody that was a vertical threat. When Pittman was hurt, you actually sent Ramon Taylor out, be wide receiver, and he'd be Ooh. a guy that they threatened downfield. You had touchdown passes to him from time to time so having that guy that can be what worthy is on one side of the field and then now he can be uh, accessorized with a guy like Nayor and actually be your Gabe Davis I mean we talked about it a few weeks ago and how similar their stats were and that's how Buffalo used Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs was getting the attention and that gets you one-on-one for your elite speed guy on the outside. Yeah, um, and Isaiah Nayor, I mean, and we've talked about this and Jeff did a good job breaking it down. Uh, yeah, his average depth of target there at Wyoming, 17.7 yards. So he got down the field a ton. Yep. 
Um, Twenty that per reception. Led the Big Twelve, as he said, because uh, I think it's uh, Marvin Mims who had seventeen point six average depth of target, which actually led the Big Twelve. And if you look at yards per route run, two point eight seven. That would have led the Big Twelve. The actual leader was, I believe, Marvin Mims again, two point six two. X Man two point six one. So he gets down the field, and they don't want to pigeonhole X Man because he is really talented. He's a next level receiver. He's got a Sunday skill set. Uh, they don't want to pigeonhole him into being the guy that takes the top off defense. He can do it, and he did it last year. And I think they'll do it with him a ton next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, you want to have a guy opposite him when they rotate coverage, when they roll those safeties to X Man, which they will, uh, and when they decide to double X-Man, which they will, because they're stupid if they don't, you want somebody who you who is going to get that man-to-man coverage and that you know they can beat it, guaranteed they can beat it, especially with a deep ball over the top. The reason that's significant is because then it forces those safeties to back up even further, and then they're going to start thinking about playing two highs because they're going to want a safety over X-Man. Now Bijan can run all day. Over uh, Nair, and that's when, yes, you get your light boxes, and then Bijan Robertson so you basically want to build the offense with so many different uh, problems, so many different issues for the defense to have to address that they can't address all of them at one time. And ultimately, we have to pick their poison. And yeah, Bijan, X-Men, or Nayor. And then you got Jaleel Billingsley. Now also, I know it's tight end, but we'll put him as a part of the receiving core overall. Then you got him and Jordan Whittington, guys you work in the slot, who can now work the inside. They can work the interior and work the seams. It seems like a lot of problems for a defensive coordinator to try to solve. Yeah, and you brought up, you were reading my mind, because uh, when we went over the Nayor stats a few weeks ago, the ones that we also mentioned was Billingsley, because last year, you look at the Texas tight ends, their ADOT, it was depth oh, of target of 3.3 to Wiley, oh. uh, negative 3 the few to Davis, and then 4.8 to Brewer. Wow. You look at Billingsley under Sark, he ended up with 9.7 a dot, and uh, I believe at Alabama 10.5 also. So, like talking about a tight end that has an a dot more than 10 yards downfield, which is very rare to have. I mean, you look at mm-hmm. with Sark in 2020, 20 plus yards downfield, he was two for two, two touchdowns, a perfect NFL passer rating, yep. and then uh, it was on passes 10 plus yards downfield, targeted 10 times. He had nine first downs, nine receptions, 195 yards, and a touchdown with 66 yards after the catch. And of contested catches, he was three for four. So not only is he a guy being targeted, getting the value out of it, and being downfield, but he's also catching balls over DBs the way wide receiver would. Yeah, that's a graduate about that contested catch. That's why it's important. Um, Isaiah Nayor on the other side of, of X-Men. He's not always mm-hmm. going to be on the other side, but uh, it would because you want to use the reason you want a really great wide receiver. So when you go your spread formation, say you go 11 personnel and you want to go, you know, three by one, right, with your 11 personnel. Uh, you can you can do that by the way honestly the way the Bengals do it the Bengals yeah. one of their issues they needed to solve was teams were just trying to take Jamar Chase out of the game so what they decided to do was they'd go three by one put Jamar Chase to the single receiver side and then they'd have T Higgins and Boyd uh, and the tight end Uzoma they'd probably have mm-hmm. him over there and they'd have them on a three receiver side or a trip side now this puts the defense in a bit of a conundrum right you can either decide all right I'm gonna roll coverage to Jamar Chase, I'm going to double that guy because he's got a lot of space as a single receiver to that side, and he can run a number of different routes, and he's a freak and a mutant. All right, Because most people don't have a Jalen Ramsey leave one-on-one, and we saw in the Super Bowl, not even Jalen Ramsey
Ramsey can be counted on to cover great wide receivers. What I always say, great corners get beat. Yeah. They get beat. Yep. Even Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey got used and abused in that Super Bowl. He's getting used and abused all game. But it doesn't matter because great corners get beat. you got to go make plays on the ball. But I digress. Optimal okay. offense is harder to stop. It, like, it exactly. literally sometimes really you can't impossible. beat it. Uh, but getting back to the point I make, so what uh, Cincinnati decides to do, they go three by one. And if you roll coverage, all right, roll that safety or, or uh, double Jamar Chase, a single receiver side, then the offense has the numbers advantage to the mm-hmm. trip side. If you decide, no, 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 we got to win the numbers advantage to the trip side. I can't let them run a wide receiver screen and then have blockers in front and win the numbers game there. So I'm going to roll coverage to the trip side, but then you're going to leave Jamar Chase wide open. And this is, I think, what Sark wants to do too. You have Isaiah Nayor uh, to maybe maybe you want to put X-Man to the single receiver side and you want to put, you know, uh, Isaiah Nayor and Jordan Whittington yep. and I don't know, whoever else you got out there at wide receiver or your tight end, Jaleel Billingsley, to the trip side and then force them to make the same decision when they're defending X-Man and Nayor or put Nayor to the single receiver side because we know he's a great deep threat and then you want to hide X-Man within the trip's formation and be able to move him around with pre-snap motion. Isaiah Nayor on those contested catches we're talking about, he came down with 15 of 25 contested throws mm-hmm. in 2021. That's that's top three best in the country among FBS wide receivers. So that's a guy that on the other side, opposite X-Man, you would, would you want to throw a deep to him or would you want to throw it to him in one-on-one coverage? He's 6'3". He's got great size. He can win one-on-ones. Yes, that's sir. what you want. A hundred percent. And I mean, if you look at his numbers too, back to 2020, that year is 22.4 ADOT. It was only on 21 targets, but just to prove that this isn't some Nayor. small sample. Yeah. Wow. This isn't some small sample thing to where his career, it's 18.7 on his ADOT. And also he's a guy that's averaged over six yards yak per reception in his career, which is rare for a deep ball guy because deep ball guys a lot of the time are being tackled when they catch the ball. They aren't necessarily – they're actually ones that have lower yak. For him to have six – so he has separation speed when he catches the ball, too. You some underneath routes for him, too. You don't yep. have to always go vertical with yep, him. That, that, too. Um, yeah, because teams are going to start playing off coverage with him at times when they start getting they get afraid of him running behind them or getting behind them, I should say, and running past them. So that's when you open up to the curl routes, open them up to the slant routes. Uh, as an, actually, it's how the Rams' offense changed because of the way the Bengals were able, once Odell went out, were able, the numbers game was morphed. And then at that exactly. point, you didn't have to respect him and you could load up on the strong with Cup. Yeah, and remember, Sark has his break-to-daylight philosophy. He likes what he called movement routes. So he wants to hit receivers on the move, hit them in stride to encourage the yak you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why he also wants these guys who are – he, he, he wants speed. Speed is, speed is the jet fuel. To yes. the engine of the Sark offense. It's the jet fuel, and it's why he wants speed on the outside. He wants girth on the inside. Uh, okay, so getting back to the wide receiver, I do think that now, you know, with Quinn Ewers, and we just assume Quinn Ewers is going to be a, a, a upgrade at quarterback. We assume that. I do think Sark, because remember, Sark doesn't throw the ball deep as much as Tom Herman's offense. They actually no. rely on getting their explosive plays with a lot of yak yeah. yards, with guys catching the ball in stride. I do think he Not as many 50-50 balls. Exactly. Exactly. What did Tom Herman like? Big yeah. wide receivers, little Jordan Humphrey. Colin Malcolm Jones. Epps. Yeah, big – exactly. You can throw it up. Uh, Sark wants speed, guys. Hit him in stride. But I do think Sark wants to throw the ball deep more, um, and maybe Quinn Ewers is, will be able to help that. Nayor's the type of perfect guy, the, the Devonta Smith model, where you can have the yak and have a guy that's a vertical threat, a high yep. A dot, but also you're gearing plays more of that Shanahan way to where, like, you get them on the move into space, and then they can accessorize 
utilize their different, you know, skills in the open field. Okay, well, one thing, I know we're getting closer to the end here, so I, I know we're getting ready to end it. I got to throw this out there because I've been on this bandwagon for a long time, and now I'm starting to see it come to fruition and materialize at, at the highest levels of football. Now that Texas has upgraded at wide receiver with Isaiah Nayor, they got Jay Witt, Jordan Whittington in the slot, and they'll have X-Man, Jaleel Billingsley upgrade at tight end, and an upgrade at quarterback. We should see a significant upgrade in how prolific the passing game is, even though it was really good last year. Here is my, you know, and I know Sark and the folks behind the burn orange curtain, I know sometimes this stuff gets back to them because I've seen Texas use more two-back sets now, hired Brennan Marion, so somebody's listening. Proud. More empty formation. Listen to me, Sark. More empty formation. Yep. The two teams in the Super Bowl led the NFL in empty formation throughout the year. The team that just won the Super Bowl had the most empty formation uh, dropbacks in the NFL last year. If you go, hell, I can even break it down in the Super Bowl. It Every was, single big it, snap was it's an, amazing. they went empty. It, it, it's crazy. If you go look early on in that game, their longest play of the game, that 35 yard to, to uh, Odell Beckham Jr., that was an empty. The 17 yard touchdown they scored to open mm-hmm. the game, that was out of empty. The 20 yard pass to Cooper Cup early on, that was out of empty. They would have used empty more if Odell Beckham Jr. didn't get hurt. It was a big part of their game. Plan. Darrell Henderson coming off of the IR and being the running back, it, he was the guy getting the snaps. Third eight. They had a 15-yarder to uh, – sorry, a 16-yarder to Henderson yep. out of empty formation. He was a no, guy that hadn't played a, since week 16. If, if, they, if Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't get hurt, they – they might end up beating the Bengals by a touchdown or more because of the empty formation. They were oh, yeah. Because the Bengals just couldn't match up. You would think the Bengals had a lot of uh, experience with it because they run a lot of the empty. The point is empty, in my opinion, is the most explosive formation in football at the college or the pro level. The longest play for the Rams in the Super Bowl came out of empty. Second longest play of the uh, the NFC title game for the Rams came out of empty. The longest play of the divisional round, 70-yard touchdown to Coop, came out of empty. It is, it's been extreme. You know who saw it? Sean McVay saw it before everybody. And I will say, Sean McVay, the reason that he got obsessed with it, the same reason I got obsessed with it. Remember, the Super Bowl between the Patriots, Patriots and the Rams, right? The only touchdown drive of the Brady's game. Brady's been doing it, it for 10 years. Brady's the only touchdown drive of the game. The Patriots went empty formation out of 22 personnel. Two backs, two tight ends. James it White. only happened 11 plays the entire season, all 32 teams in all 16 of their games. Nobody had ever really done it. There was no way for Wade, Wade Phillips to even prepare for it. And it took the Rams by surprise. Sean McVay studied it. He obsessed about it. And now he flips the script in his Super Bowl winning year. He does it by running more empty formation than any team in NFL history. And he knew because he upgraded at quarterback and he upgraded at wide receiver. Jerry Goff couldn't handle this. You know, he said, got a quarterback that can process the information. He's got receivers like Cooper Cup, and like I know that Woods got hurt, um, but also Odell Beckham Jr. that can beat one on ones, and that's what you force when you go to empty formation. And actually, last year, you guys know I've been talking about it. For oh, Texas Brady for a in while. the Super Bowl, he was. I mean, look, just last year in the Super Bowl, that was a difference. All the big touchdown scoring plays were out of empty. empty. I remember him yelling at Arians to sit, put him back on the field. He was like, "No, we're going for it and go empty yeah. touchdown." Gronk. The NFL now, oh, I think on average, their teams are running like fifteen percent of their plays are empty. I, the, the Rams are at twenty percent, close to twenty percent. Uh, at two thousand six, they were the NFL was like at five percent running empty formation mm-hmm. um but i'm telling you i've been i've been seeing it everywhere since sean McVay jumped on the bandwagon i've been preaching it for now like two years the most explosive play at the college or the pro level if you have the right weapons 
Now Texas has the right weapons. In 2020, hell, Sam Ellinger was great out of empty formation. In 2020, Texas ran around less than 6% of their plays in 2020. How about this average over 10 yards per attempt out of empty formation and average over 9 yards per play out of empty formation. Uh, so new coach, new regime, new quarterback, new receivers, no big deal. In 2021, Sark's offense averaged 8.9 yards per play out of empty formation. 10 yards per attempt out of empty formation. By the way, you know what Matthew Stafford averaged in the Super Bowl out of empty formation? Oh, sorry, the last three games, not including Super Bowl, Super Bowl, the uh, NFC title game, and the divisional round. He averaged 10.7 yards per attempt out of empty formation. They got 15 completions out of empty formation in the last three games, including the Super Bowl. Matt, 11 of them for a first down or a touchdown. Yeah. And Six explosive plays of 15 yards or more. It's unbelievable. And you I mean, gave the numbers. Explosive play rate of 20 percent. It's insane. Every time you run out of empty, it's insane. It's like the three point shot in basketball. It Something is. people it haven't is. noticed, and it's mathematically there, <laughs> and you have to buy into it. Like I remember the first Great time point. I saw a breakdown. I found it here. This is an article about film study from. The old site that uh, Bill Conley used to be with. But this is the 2009 Cal-Stanford game talking about how revolutionary empty will be. <laughs> and it's literally yeah. Shane Vereen as the guy going empty. Do you remember who Shane yeah, Vereen? Man. He started to play. He was That's drafted crazy. by the Patriots. And they were the first ones that would ever even thought about going empty. And you had guys like James White somehow yeah. always being that X factor out of the backfield. And it's something that you've seen Brady be really ahead of the game in you're right, McVay's the one that has done it from the top down and done it organizationally and is part of his offense. It's amazing. I looked at the explosive play rate. That's passes of at least 15 yards and runs of at least 12 yards out of empty formation. 23% explosive play rate out of empty formation for Texas last season. And I, wanted to, I went and looked at 2020 and 21, so I wanted to try to uh, combine it. Um, 22% explosive play rate. For the last two years out of empty for, for Texas. Different quarterbacks, different receivers, same different production. head coaches, different play callers, same result. Uh, that's the reason the, the Bengals figured it out because, you know, they're Zach Taylor, they're really young and they're an innovative group. Sean McVay figured it out. Sark, I know, I know somebody around there is listening and I know you watch the Super Bowl too. Empty formation, more empty formation. Just real quick, the uh, the history lesson, I went back and tried to figure out where the hell empty came from. Mm -hmm. Led me to Jerry Rice. Yeah. Know it sounds crazy. Go look up the name. I won't go into de detail. Archie Cooley was his name. He was a Jackson State linebacker in the 60s. Ended up becoming the head coach of Mississippi Valley State. When Jerry Rice was being recruited, he admitted he was being recruited by USC and Notre Dame. He said the only guy that went to come to my home, my home and shake my hand was Archie Cooley. He said that's why he actually went to Mississippi Valley State. It wasn't that, oh, USC and Notre Dame didn't recruit Jerry Rice. No, if they recruited him, they just didn't want to come to his house. Yeah. They didn't want to talk to him face-to-face. -face. And Archie Cooley sold him because he was actually going to think about going to uh, Mississippi State mm -hmm. or going to Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. But all those schools were still running, like, the option, mm -hmm. or they were running, like, old school. Like, Mississippi State these stuff. days, yeah. a lot of empty. Dude, dude, Mississippi Valley State at the time, Archie Cooley told him, he said, no, no, we are going to throw the ball more than any team in the country. And you know what they came up with? The satellite offense. I'm not making it up. Go Google it. This is why Jerry Rice ended up being – 
amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Jerry Rice was part of the he was actually the muse for the satellite offense. They called it that because the quarterback was the was the satellite in yeah. their terminology, and it was uh, it, it, it's it's a crazy story. But in 1984. First three games in 1984, they dropped what they called the satellite offense where they went five wide receivers, no running backs, no tight ends, five wide receivers all on the line of scrimmage, empty, under center. (laughs) I'm not making this up. You can't make this kind of stuff up. They would go four by one, stack three wide receivers on one side, put Jerry Rice as the single wide receiver by himself, and Jerry Rice lost his damn mind. He went off. I mean, Jerry the Rice that year. Express. I'm yeah, reading it right Express. here. That year, 1984, Jerry Rice had 112 receptions, 1,845 yards, and 27 touchdowns. Willie Totten, the quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, he set 58. Sorry, he had 58 passing touchdowns, but he set a ton of Division One passing records. Actually, over 50 Division One AA passing records in 1984. First three games of the season, they scored 86, 77, and 63 <laughs> points. They were averaging 57 points per game through the first four games of the season because nobody had ever seen it. Nobody yeah. knew what the hell they were looking at. They went five wide across the board, under center, empty formation. To me, I'm sure somebody went empty before that, but nobody popularized it before the Satellite Express. Jerry freaking Rice. Jerry Rice, as a matter of fact, his, his numbers, uh, once he left Mississippi Valley State, 301 receptions, 4,693 yards, and 50 touchdowns. 50 touchdowns. It's insane. So you want to know where empty formation came from? That also is your black history lesson because that was at an HBCU. Nobody talks about Archie Cooley. They called him the gunslinger back in the day. He's still alive. So shout out when everybody starts running empty formation. Y'all want to know who popularized it, where it came from. Think about why Jerry Rice was so impactful and Bill freaking Walsh even studied the Satellite Express. He saw it. And don't don't you think that it didn't have some type of impression on Bill Walsh's ability to weaponize Jerry Rice and how they used him. He didn't use a lot of empty formation, but they would isolate Jerry Rice mm-hmm. a ton, and he got that isolation technique from Archie Cooley and the Satellite Express. It was the like more a, you know. empty run and shoot. It really was under center. Yeah. How the hell do you run? That's crazy. Empty formation under center. Yeah. Crazy, dude. All right, sorry I went over there, but uh, we, had, we got oh, it's a, good a great empty formation. Yeah, so Sark. I know you listened to me about the two back sets and Brendan Marion. Thank you for that, and God bless you. Texas will be better off for it. Listen to me about the empty. I've been saying it for two years. I've been studying it for two years. I've done the research for you. It's done. Just use more empty formation. I think you will. They used less than 6% in 2020. I think it was less than 8 to 9% in 2021. So he's using more, just not enough. Just Google Rod Baber's empty formation or put on Twitter Rod Baber's empty formation and all the stats from previous years, Texas, it'll pop up. And I'll keep putting them out there. All right, thanks, Matt, for everything you do, brother. You're more than welcome, man. Thank Uh, you. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. 
I want to thank my man Jeff Howe. I want to thank the good folks at Horns 24-7 and thank the good folks here at the Austin Radio Network. And thank you for listening. We appreciate your time. Join us next week, same time, um, same channel, wherever you're listening to uh, the Longhorn Blitz Podcast. As a matter of fact, Matt, where can they hear the Longhorn Blitz Podcast? Uh, anywhere. Just type in Longhorn Blitz into any of your podcast apps. Just that simple. All right, folks, we'll join you guys next week talking more Longhorn football where football season never ends. Love you guys. Peace. Blitz is defined as a... You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after the Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.